How's it going, everyone? Welcome to Fear Frequency, a weekly horror podcast. This is our 100th episode, three years in, and we finally hit 100, which means we missed a whole year's worth of episodes, <laughs> if I'm doing the math right. As always, I'm joined by my co-host and best friend, George Frizzard. How's it going, George? Pretty good, man. What's up? We have 100 episodes. Yeah, our 100th episode. And it's better than ever. It's, it just keeps getting better. We're a day late this week because I had to go into the Austin Evans experience yesterday for the first time since March because Microsoft sent over two Xboxes, but they're just the shells. So we got the Xbox Series X shell and the Xbox Series S shell. And then we did a video on them individually on the main channel. And then a one on this is about like which one's better. And uh, it was pretty fun. We were there like really late busting all these videos out. It was kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah. Xbox is doing some pretty interesting things with their like financing program for their new consoles and uh, adding EA to their games pass. They're really trying to sell them. Yeah, so the Series X and S both come out November 10th. And you can do, as George mentioned, a payment plan where 25 bucks a month for two years, you get an Xbox Series S day one. You get all of the Game Pass Ultimate stuff. So EA Play, Xbox Live, Game Pass on Windows and PC. You even get Spotify now. It's fucking crazy. And it if you qualify, it's 0% APR. But I'm assuming if you don't qualify, it's only 20% APR, which means at the end of the two years, you'll pay the total price of two years of Game Pass and an Xbox Series S. Because if you do the math, with 0% APR, the payment plan works out to you saving 60 bucks on if you bought two years of Game Pass and a Series X individually. So either way, they're making it easy for people to get a next-gen console this year. Yeah, which is really cool. Yeah, I'm going to get a Series X. I'm not messing around with this cheap version. <laughs> yeah, Nonsense. I think so. Jumping right into the X. Yeah, I was going to get a PS5, but then I kind of looked at the exclusives, and it's like, I don't think they're ready. Like, I don't think either company, obviously, is ready to release their console this year based on the games they're putting out because Halo Infinite's delayed. So that was the big launch title for Xbox. And PlayStation, their launch title lineup right now of exclusives is exclusively miles morales which is a glorified expansion to spider-man ratchet and clank will be out within the first three months i guess and people are guessing that demon souls is going to be out but like that's a remake of an extremely okay game if you spread out all the souls games on the table like that's the last one i picked to play so why buy it you know when i can get an xbox series x which has cross save with PC and I can plant that little bitch next to my TV <laughs> and have a 4K Blu-ray player. Yeah, I mean they, you know, they definitely make it pretty enticing to pick one up, especially with Sony being so tight-lipped about pricing and availability and everything for their console, it just is not a good omen. Like the PlayStation 5 is definitely going to cost 600 plus which I feel like if you're looking at the two from a value perspective, at least for the first year, there'd be no reason not to get the Xbox. Even though Halo's delayed, the foundation that they have for it is really good. Like high frame rate shooting open world on a Halo ring. Like I'm all in on that. I like the new art style a lot. It just needs like, it needs a little bit of a touch up, which is basically what they're doing. And then they brought in like a old guard Halo level designer to kind of lead the update, which that's all great. I'm totally happy about that. Xbox has a ton of studios working on games. That new Fable is probably going to be pretty good. There's just a ton of shit coming out for Xbox, even though a lot of it's third party, uh, that's going to run and look the best on the Series X. And if like Sony had a ton of launch titles to be ready for, you know, day one, I would be probably thinking a little different. But it's like, okay, the PlayStation will probably be more expensive than the Xbox, have less usable storage space, have games that run and look marginally worse than the Xbox. What's the appeal there? I don't really see it, you know? It's like you're buying it with the promise of Sony exclusives. And that's kind of stupid because that's exactly what people did with the PS3 generation. And the first two years of that console's life cycle, there was nothing. Like not even third-party games 
came to the PS3. And there was there was a lot of weird third-party ports to the PlayStation 3 generation that were strange. Like the Orange Box was handled by a different studio. They completely wrecked that. There was just a lot of a lot of weird stuff, but I don't know. Like I, I'd assume I'm going to pick one up eventually, but I, I really don't have any interest in getting a PlayStation 5 in the immediate launch window. Yeah, like people get way too into this shit. Like they're like, I'm a PlayStation fan for life, baby. I don't care what they put out. And it's like that's exactly how we got the PS3's launch. Is like <laughs> yeah. Sony thinking people will just shell out either way. I don't know. Like I don't really care enough to go back and play Ghost of Tsushima on my PS5. Like I'm not buying a brand new console to play a last gen game at an acceptable frame rate. You know what I mean? Right. Where I can like Leave my Xbox next to my TV. The controller works on my PC and my TV perfectly. I don't have to download any fucky programs or whatever. Walk to my living room, turn on the TV, boot up the Outer Worlds and the DLC and all that, and then my save is right there. Can't beat that. That's just so cool. Yeah. And that's something that PlayStation just doesn't have. I don't know. I think the console also looks cooler. It's something that's going to be next to my TV. I think the PS5 looks fucking stupid. And the controller also being white is the dumbest move possible (laughs) because it's just going to get dirty. Sony doesn't know how to make a console, so I'm not going to buy their launch units again when I got this rock-solid little brick of obsidian that I know is going to work (laughs) perfectly for a decade. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think Xbox has, you know, learned from the past with, like, their 360 launch. And because, like, their last, I mean, the the One X has been a really solid console. And I feel like, you know, they're really going the direction of trying to provide a ton of value to consumers between like Game Pass expanding and all that. So to me, I, I just think that that is like, I value that more as a, you know, quote unquote gamer. In the way Game Pass works, whenever a game leaves it, it always goes on sale for dirt cheap on the Xbox store. They're super smart about that. Third parties are super smart about that, where they'll be like, oh, people who really enjoy playing Monster Hunter World for the month we had it on Game Pass. We're going to drop that shit to like 10 bucks right now, so then we'll get that sale, and then they, they might buy the DLC. You know what I mean? Like, it's just such a good model. Yeah, I mean, that's just, yeah, really smart. I, I don't really understand the Xbox or Sony Extreme fandom on either end. I mean, I think, <laughs> like, the people that really champion one or the other on Twitter... just have to be children and like i don't understand being an adult and really having a strong stance either way like being a diehard fan of one company i don't know it's it's just weird if you are an xbox fan i'd love to know like what you're a fan of because it's not like they're out here with all of these iconic characters you've got basically master chief and like a mclaren f1 and whatever forza cars on the cover (laughs) You could argue Marcus Phoenix, but he's not really the main character of Gears anymore. So, like, I wouldn't call Kate iconic. No one's like, yes, I can't wait till the next game featuring Kate and JD Phoenix. You know, like, yeah, right. <laughs> there's a reason Marcus hasn't died yet in those games. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I don't know. Maybe they'll bring back Blinks the Time Sweeper as their mascot. Hey, man. That'd be cool. Bring something. I want Senua to be their fucking mascot. Just psychotic viking woman (laughs) just like dirty as shit like (laughs) screams a lot (laughs) that'd be great uh i would love that but yeah i i want to get a new console just because i'm an adult with money now and this is the first time where i don't have to trade anything in you know i can just like pre-order it pay the money that it costs and enjoy it on the day it comes out and that's gonna feel really good yeah i think it'll Um, be cool i think it's exciting to see you know what'll be coming out in the next six months year yeah because what do we have to look forward to right now like assassin's creed which i'm not gonna buy cyberpunk yeah cyberpunk will be great i'm so excited for cyberpunk that's coming out pretty soon i just for some reason in my mind i just assume that that's gonna get delayed till next year like even though it's slated for next month i just feel like it's or november yeah november yeah november i just feel like it's to me, like I have a mental block that says it's not coming out this year. I agree. I I don't feel like it is at all. Also, the new Call of Duty runs at 4K 120 on Xbox. That's pretty Series exciting. X, which is nuts. I would like to see that. So that's pretty exciting. Also, it's the apocalypse here because of all these fires going on. I have my window open. Yeah, I've seen the Blade Runner photos on Twitter of the extremely red sky 
looks looks nuts. There are multiple fires that have started for multiple reasons, but the one that's getting the most news traction is that they did a gender reveal party out in the desert. And I guess that's a thing now where you like pay a company to look at your results before you do, and then they make like a little smoke bomb that's either blue or pink, and it's like a whole thing. I think this is the dumbest shit ever. They did it on Teen Mom, I saw on MTV, and it was like in a desert area these like LA influencers that are on that show. And it's just like so cringy. Like they started this massive fire that's like completely ruining everyone's lives. It's insane. Like that baby is just staying in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the baby's going to come out when it's like five. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it just the weight on your shoulders. If you're that kid and you know <laughs> the pain that whatever poor company put this gender reveal party together. A lot, a lot of stress for that kid early in his life. I feel like when the fire is over, the consequence should be a controlled burn of these people's houses with everything they own in it. <laughs> Just like an eye for an eye, you know? And then every five years, they come back and do it again. <laughs> a, bit, a bit extreme, but... I think they should just ban gender reveal parties. I think those should just be completely outlawed. Uh, that's not what you said their consequence should be over text. You're... <laughs> I distinctly remember you saying both the mom and the baby should be put to death. <laughs> Moral consequences. I just want them to have to deal with a crippling fire every year, every five years for the rest of their lives. I mean, the punishment... Whatever punishment fits the crime, I guess. <laughs> the baby is just going to stay in there, though. He's going to just chill. Yeah. He's going to come out with knowledge. He's going to come out of his mom like, hello. He just pops out like Modoc with a huge head. He's just like picked up speaking and <laughs> all this shit from just like listening through skin. That would be interesting. Good social experiment. Yeah. So yesterday I went out to work and it was like bright orange. And I was like, wow, I'm glad it's not like that by my house. And then today I looked out the window and I was like, uh-oh. Uh oh, it's on its way. <laughs> yeah, it's like pretty bad. Apparently, it's going to get worse. So, perfect for Halloween season. This week, we have a ton of news. The biggest news of all, though, objectively speaking, is that AMC Fear Fest is all October long this year for the first time in a really long time, which makes me super happy. I'm assuming it's because they have like nine Walking Dead shows now and they want to do marathons of all of them. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> but some of the movies that John Squires over at Bloody Disgusting picked out that they'll be showing are Nightmare on Elm Street, Bride of Chucky, Halloween, Halloween 4, Halloween 5, The Amityville Horror, The People Under the Stairs, Seed of Chucky, Halloween Resurrection, Halloween 6, Amityville 2, and an assortment of Hellraiser sequels. So it's a basically what they usually show with a few new ones thrown in. I really like Fear Fest, even with commercials, because it's like very nostalgic. Yeah, definitely. I'm pretty excited. I think Eli Roth's History of Horror is getting a season two. That was really fun last year. I like that. Yeah, I mean, I haven't really subscribed to cable in the last few years, so I've been out of the Fear Fest loop. But I am a big fan. Like, I think it's definitely a cool marathon. It does. I know they've cut it back to like 13 days for the last couple of years, which yeah, it, you know, it is a shame because you know, growing up there was a lot of those franchises that you get exposed to first on AMC Fear Fest. And they play all the Halloween movies. They play the Leprechaun movies. Chucky, I mean, all, you know, seeing those franchises play out in a neutered TV setting when you're a kid is like how a lot of people, I would assume, were exposed to it. So, I, I mean, I think it's cool they're kind of bringing it back in full force. I agree. I'm really excited. Austin added me to his YouTube TV, so I get cable through that. Oh, nice. <laughs> so that's how I'm going to watch it. I'm sure you could just, like, get a month trial or something and just start it the first day of October. Yeah, maybe there's, like, a AMC streaming thing. Oh, yeah. If you have you your parents' cable login, you could use that. Yeah. Maybe I'll have to look at look into Gotta that. Gotta get a little crafty here. Next on the list here, Chucky's shooting is delayed until 2021. And just to be clear, MGM and Orion are not moving forward with the sequel to that movie. This is just the USA TV show that's also going to air on sci-fi. So it was supposed to start shooting right now for a 2021 release. We've already seen a trailer for it that was fucking horrible. It was like that weird CGI mashup type deal with Chucky laughing. It just like wasn't very good. Honestly, it was on par with some of the marketing we got for the remake, which like with all the complaining that was done about the remake, you'd think that this team would turn around and just blow us out of the water with the <laughs> announcement. Now it's 
the shooting is delayed. It's going to come out next year still, I guess. Like, why would you even announce it with that t- with that trailer if you there was any chance you were going to delay it? Right. You'd assume if they had a teaser trailer to show that the show would be ready to go. Like, as you know, if it was done and ready to, to play, like, this year, if that, that was the goal. But, um, I don't know, really weird. I mean, uh, I just, I don't know about this show. Like, I, I want to be excited for it. Like, I want it to kind of breathe some life back into the franchise after the really bad pseudo-reboot that we got last year. I just, I don't know. I don't see it really coming together, and this doesn't help with this extra wrench thrown into the plans. Doesn't it feel like this movie, this doesn't it feel like this show has been announced like six times? Yeah, I mean, I feel like... I feel like we got all the early news, you know, all the people coming back, you know, it's it's in production, they got a new story, it's like continuation of the last movie, like, I feel like there's just been a lot of talk about it, like the story, plot-wise where it's going, people coming back, and then it just, what, sat in the mud for a year and no one did anything with it, it's, it's just weird. I feel like I've been hearing all this stuff about it, and now it's like, yep, push it back another year. Yeah, like looking back at when... The remake was announced and Don Mancini was going off about it like constantly on Twitter talking about this TV show and whatever sequels he was working on. I feel like it would have been smarter just to not say anything and just let that remake come out and die because no one talks about that remake anymore. You know, like I haven't heard about that in months other than the fact that they're not doing a sequel. And then now it's just like just release Chucky. Just let me see it. I'm like. All my hype is drying up for it because it feels like it's just going to get shelved. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a rough spot to be in. And I think the only hope that I could kind of have is, you know, if it is, so it's pushed back another year. If there is some window they can fit it in where it's before all these things that have been pushed back are ready to come back out. If they can kind of slide it into a kind of dry spot before everything kind of starts coming out again. They might get a little bit of traction just because it's something new and cool to talk about, but I don't know. I mean, I think outside of that, it's just it's going to be tough to really talk about it to for it to really gain a foothold. It's weird to me that Universal is airing this on cable when they've made such like a big deal out of putting Curse of Chucky and Cult of Chucky on Netflix pretty much day and date. It's like they obviously have some sort of deal with Netflix was it's those shows just weird i'm just over child's play i don't think child's play was ever this massive franchise it's been kind of turned into you know like i don't feel like it's ever really had legs to support that and i feel like it's just so tailor-made to go away for a little while and then come back with something new that people can talk about for a few weeks and then go away again i don't need chucky in the zeitgeist 24 <laughs> 7 yeah I, I totally get that yeah, it's like, just let them let rest a little bit. Yeah. We've had a lot of Chucky over the past few years. Yeah, and especially, I mean, when was the last, like, really good Chucky thing that we got? What was the, was Curse, was Curse the first Netflix one? Yeah, Curse was the yeah. first of the Don Mancini straight-to-video series. Curse was okay. Curse was pretty good. Yeah. Everything after that terrible. Was, was pretty terrible. So I think it just, you know, maybe this will bring back some of that charm or some of that flair but I, I mean i think like you said there's been a lot of chucky lately and i think it's it could go for a break i think if it just had a little bit of time year or two to just nothing no news anything come back with something strong you know maybe it can get its get some kind of foothold but without that i just don't know yeah let's just keep this weird ball rolling with the mgm talk so orion the people who made that Child's Play reboot, they also were working on a RoboCop sequel, like a Halloween 2018 style sequel uh, to the original RoboCop. And the reason that was exciting was not only because Neil Blomkamp was involved, but the original writers were like Ed Newmeyer and then another guy's name I'm forgetting right now. They were revitalizing their script that they had originally written to be the sequel to RoboCop. And then that didn't get made because the director was part of a strike. And then MGM and Orion went forward with a different vision, which I honestly like because a kid uses like a full machine, like full auto machine gun in that and kills a bunch of people. I think that's great. But now 
we are still getting that RoboCop sequel, but we're also getting a prequel series to the original RoboCop featuring Omni's vice president, Dick Jones. And the logline that Ed Neumeyer has been telling people is that it has all the cool stuff about RoboCop, except no RoboCop. What do you think of this, George? What is the cool stuff about RoboCop that's not RoboCop? Is it the commercial where the guy goes, I'd buy that for a dollar? Is it the guy that gets melted? I mean, is it saying that there's going to be weird in-universe commercials and melted people? I mean, I, I don't know what's cool about RoboCop that isn't RoboCop. Right. And uh, Neumeyer said, I'm working with these two writers, Dave Parkin and Rob Gibbs, who brought this idea to a TV producer, a friend of mine, who brought it to me. The first time I heard it, I knew it was a cool idea because I could see a lot of things you could do with it. It's such an interesting character. It's going to be about the evolution of Richard Jones to Dick Jones, the story of OCP and how the world moves into the future, how the corporate world behaves. I'm so fucking sick of these TV shows and movies that are like corporations bad. Oh my God, guys, we solved it. We solved world <laughs> hunger. We made everyone understand corporation bad. Capitalism bad. It's just like, that's what everything is now. And it's just getting really old because I go to movies and TV and video games to escape this shit. Yeah, and I mean, <laughs> out of the two, I think you would probably pick the one that actually has RoboCop in it instead of this weird story about the OCP universe and the f their change to the future and how the evil corporations affect the, the police force. I mean, it's just, I mean, it might hit on some timely issues if they can get it out like now, but I don't know. This sounds really weird to me. <laughs> like, it's just very strange. It's like extra weird because RoboCop has like franchise legs. He had a cartoon. He had multiple video games. He had action figures. Like RoboCop as a concept is very cool. And I get where they're coming from trying to play around in that world with other characters. But like I don't need to see the bad guy's story. You know like eh, what are you going to do that's totally original and makes it to tv in a cool realized way i don't think this is it mgm is cool i really like orion because i think a lot of the people who made blumhouse what it is today work there now and i like that they're basically the thq of movies where they get these weird franchises like child's play and uh robocop and then they just go for broke with small budgets, but make their movies feel a lot bigger budgeted than they are. I think they've got a good formula going. Obviously, they just did Ted and or Bill and Ted face the music, and that did great for them. So, like, I'm excited for this. I just think they should focus on the movie that they announced three years ago and stick to that. <laughs> like one one step at a time. Right. Like walk before you can run. I don't know why you would split efforts at this point when one has been in development hell and now that you're going forward with that, you want to take a step back and develop this very strange show within the same universe, kind of. It sounds, like I said, very weird. I'm not sure exactly where they're going with this. Yeah, I don't know. But I saved the best news for last here. Blumhouse has signed a deal with Rob Savage, Judd Shepard, and Gemma Hurley, who you may have heard on our podcast just over a month ago, talking about their brand new hit movie, Host. And Jason Blum said, we've been tracking Rob's work for some time now. And when I got a look at Host, I saw the inventiveness in his work that Ryan Turek and the Blumhouse team has been championing. We're looking forward to getting this partnership underway immediately. Rob said he's thrilled to be partnering with Blumhouse on these movies. Their status in the horror genre is unmatched and he equally admires their filmmaker-led approach. They embody independent filmmaking spirit, which they made Host with, and he can't wait to create some new nightmares with them. They're also working on a horror movie with Sam Raimi and another one with Studio Canal plus these three Blumhouse movies so they're doing just fine George yeah it sounds like they got a lot of coals in the fire is that the expression yeah yeah that's it a lot going on uh I'm really happy for him though because I mean host I think so far has been like my favorite horror movie of the year I thought it was really cool and well done and I love the you know independent nature of it how it is very low budget, but completely punches out of its weight class. So I think 
Blumhouse and them is a great combination because we've seen, like like they were saying, you know, very filmmaker-led approach where they give them a small budget, but they can kind of create with it whatever they want with very little studio interference, which seems like a good, you know, hand-in-hand relationship for, for him especially. I think one of these three movies should definitely be an unfriended movie. Just keep that franchise going. It also doesn't say if Universal is distributing any of these three that they've been signed on for. I'd assume at least one of them is. But these might be the more uh, Blumhouse creator-focused movies like Upgrade or, like I just mentioned, Unfriended Dark Web. I think they could play really well in that arena. I just hope that a lot of this stuff actually comes out, you know? Obviously, these Blumhouse movies will come out. That'll be the first thing they work on. I hope that doesn't screw up the Ted or Sam Raimi movie they're working on. And I also hope uh, that Studio Canal one turns out good, too. You know, it's just like a lot to juggle for just a few people. Yeah, I mean, definitely, you know, a lot on their plate right now. Uh, not really sure order of operations here. If they do, you know, the Sam Raimi movie and the Studio Canal movie, then, then do the Blumhouse or how that all works. But... Uh, I mean, I think that they, you know, have a really cool vision. And I think if they have, you know, five movie ideas that they want to make and everybody is kind of giving them all the tools to do it, then I say, you know, more power to them. Yeah, definitely. I'm super excited. It's just crazy. I don't even know what it would be like to juggle five movies at once. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Pro- probably three movies because they're working on one for Blumhouse, one for Studio Canal, and one with Sam Raimi. The order you'll probably see these in is... I would guess one Blumhouse movie first, then the Studio Canal movie, which they're describing as the Conjuring set in a prison, which sounds cool to me. Then you'll probably get the next two Blumhouse movies and then the Sam Raimi one. Because for some reason, Sam Raimi produced movies, they gestate for a long time and then they just are released, usually around January. So these guys could be the next uh, Escape Room directors for Sony I'm much more excited for whatever they do with Blumhouse, you know, just thinking in that way. Yeah. And I mean, another thing is Blumhouse has been fairly strong with the VOD releases with, you know, this year we got The Hunt and Invisible Man. Yeah. Early on VOD. So if that is kind of the route they go, if they make something, you know, kind of with a quicker turnaround time and they can get something out, you know, maybe late next year, early, you know, twenty. 22 or something that would be cool too if they can get you know kind of beef up their vod releases from blumhouse i I think that would probably be a good idea yeah this seems like old style movie making where someone comes out of nowhere with a huge hit like host and they're immediately signed to all these movies and then they create a big name for themselves i really like the way it's shaking out for them i don't know what the hell is going on with shutter if i'm them i would have immediately greenlit a sequel to host like the first thing, that's the very first thing I would have done after that movie came out. And maybe that'll happen, but, like, they're busy. <laughs> yeah, completely. I mean, Host was kind of a huge viral hit. Um, you know, it was number one on Letterboxd for a while. The, you know, the Times were review for it. That was kind of like the big quarantine horror movie, I would say. So, I mean, I, I would assume, like you said, Shudder should have given them basically a blank check and said, you know, do whatever you want to do for host two. But, uh, you know, I don't know. Maybe it will happen. I'll just show up one day on Shudder because obviously that movie was filmed so quick and edited so quick. That might be a cool thing for them to just do in secret. It's just like, ah, they got so much on their plate now. So yeah, like, I, I don't know if they even have time for a quick side project like that. It just seems like they have, have a lot on their plate, which is cool. I mean, really happy for their success. Yeah, me too. Those guys are awesome. I hope they come back on whenever their next thing comes out because I really like talking to them. And then that time, we can get them on the whole show instead of just an interview because they know their shit, which is nice. (laughs) They're like (laughs) horror fans first and foremost, which makes them a lot of fun to talk to. Yeah, I mean, you can totally see that in Host with, you know, just a, a love for the genre, kind of exploring tropes but in a new and interesting way, you know, little references like their Alice Sweet Alice mask in the third act. Just just a lot of cool stuff like that. Yeah, that's like the screenshot everyone uses from that movie and it makes everyone super excited. That was so smart of them to put that in there. And also, when I was talking to Rob last, he was like about to play Resident Evil 7 and I'd love to hear his thoughts on that now that he finished it. If yeah. he has. Yeah, I'm sure <laughs> he might not even have time to play it anymore, but uh 
Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. So that's it for the news this week. I have a ton of stuff in future programming. So Netflix announced their event, Netflix and Chills. And the first thing on there is already out. It's uh, the Babysitter sequel, which we talked about a few months ago or a few weeks ago, Killer Queen. It's set two years later, and I heard it's pretty good. Have you heard anything about it? No, I mean, I, I saw basically the same thing, the Netflix and Chills lineup. Uh, I mean, I, I liked the babysitter enough. I I thought it was okay. Um, I'll, I'll probably check this out. I mean, I didn't. I thought that really, you know, smart weaving was kind of the best part of that movie. I agree. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I'll, I'll probably check it out, but I don't really have any any expectations going into it. I heard it's super gory. Really? And I, yeah, I heard it's like insanely gory, and it focuses on. The same kid, I guess, just a couple years later, and he's a little bit older, which I like. But yeah, I don't think Samara Weaving's even got a cameo in it. I think that's a cool movie for them to start their little event with, though, because out of all their original horror movies, I think that one made the biggest splash. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would probably put that, you know, as okay as it was, I would still put that on like the higher end of Marvel or not Marvel Netflix original movies because a lot of them are huge stinkers. So. I mean, I guess, you know, build on something that was pretty okay. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. I'll probably check that out for next week's show. Uh, but yeah, I heard it's pretty decent. Second thing on here, on October 2nd, there's a movie called Vampires vs. the Bronx. And it's like Stranger Things, but it's about killing vampires and it's a movie. I think that looks pretty cool. The trailer was kind of fun. Uh, I also just selected the ones that stood out to me. There's a lot more stuff, so go to Bloody Disgusting to check that out. They have a whole article on the top of the website. The third thing on here is something I'm actually pretty stoked for, Hubi Halloween. It comes out on October 7th. It's Adam Sandler's new movie, which is crazy that I'm actually excited for it. And it uh, features him as a character named Hubi Dubois. He thanklessly spends every Halloween making sure that the residents of Salem, Massachusetts celebrate safely and play by the rules. But this year, an escaped criminal and a mysterious new neighbor have Hubi on high alert. When people start disappearing, it's up to him to convince the police, obviously Kevin James and Keenan Thompson <laughs> and townsfolk, that monsters are real and only he can stop them. I fucking hate the voice Adam Sandler is doing in this <laughs> yeah. so much. That really put me <laughs> off when I was watching the trailer, but... <laughs> I mean, it's set in it's set in Salem, which is awesome. On Halloween, it looks like they have shot there too. It looks like it has a ton of Halloween fanfare, you know, Halloween parties, trick or treaters. You probably get a lot of that autumn vibe in it. The production value looks crazy. I mean, some of the shots in this are like you could make that a desktop background, hang it in your house. I mean, they look great. It's like really cool landscapes, lit really well. A lot of Halloween vibes. I mean. I think it might be worth watching just to, you know, see the, the shot work in it. This is still part of that deal he signed where he was like exclusively making movies on Netflix and it was an insane amount of money. That's probably why the budget is so high. This is one of the best looking production value wise movies I've seen a trailer for this year, which is crazy to me. Like just the way it's shot, it looks like they went so much harder than they have to. And also the cast is completely stacked. Obviously, Adam Sandler is doing a weird voice, but it is the return of the director of Little Nicky, which I think is cool. And people really like the movies he puts on Netflix. I think that one he made that was honestly terrible, The Ridiculous Six, that's the most watched thing on Netflix ever, as far as I know. Yeah, really weird. But it, so, we also do see the uh, rekindling of his on-screen relationship with uh, the girl from Modern Family, who was his love interest oh, yeah. in Happy Gilmore, his back as his possible love interest in this movie if we can if the trailers lead us in the right direction which it's an adam sandler movie so i don't think there's going to be a lot of surprises and going on <laughs> in this one <laughs> but yeah that comes out october 7th i'm excited for that they just say october for the haunting of bly manor so it'll be out that month it's set in 1980s england it looks pretty cool i watched the trailer and i liked it a lot it just kind of looks like it, it kind of looks like it's getting a little too into itself. I hope it's a little bit more accessible than the trailer made it out to be. I mean, I think I give, you know, Flanagan enough slack where, you know, Hill House was so good that I feel like I, I can give him a little bit of breathing, you know, 
like I said, kind of a little bit of slack. If the trailer looks a little too, you know, off-putting or not quite my style, I feel like it. he's earned at least a couple episodes to, to see how it is. Yeah, definitely. I just think it's a quick turnaround because they recently started shooting that, but I think the first season was a quick turnaround as well. So I think it'll still turn out great. It just looked a little too, like, heady for me, but... A lot of his stuff does in the trailers, and then it comes out, and I totally like it. So I'm going to give it the benefit of the doubt. And then the last thing I thought was cool is Unsolved Mysteries Volume 2 comes out October 19th. They made six new episodes that are profiling unexplained disappearances, tragic events, and bizarre occurrences. Perhaps one viewer holds the key to solving these cases. Ooh. Uh, I heard that they listened to the complaints about there being no like cryptids or UFOs, so they went overboard for Volume 2. I think that was really smart. So I'm pretty stoked for this. I think they did a good job with that first round of episodes. Yeah. I mean, I think if that is true and there are more UFOs and cryptids and all that, uh, I mean, I think that just kind of fits better in the October time slot. Like, I think that that's kind of also people, obviously people who watch the show originally, that's what they're more into. But I think also if you're going to release it in October, I think that's kind of more what you should gear it towards. And then maybe if you do more true crime stuff in the summer, if they do like these stilted, you know, twice a year, six episode deals, I think I'd I'd be pretty happy with that if we got some, you know, autumnal, weird cryptid, and then summer, like disappearances and serial killers. Yeah, I hope they start doing a podcast or something to go along with this show. I feel like that's just so smart that where they could do a true crime podcast that maybe talks about, you know, stuff that doesn't make the TV show. And then updates on the cases. Because you have to go to a website now to see updates on the cases. Maybe they'll put them in the episodes. I doubt it. I just feel like a companion podcast would be perfect for this show. Yeah, that'd be really smart if they did that for sure. Yeah, so if you guys want to see the whole list of everything coming to Netflix for their new Halloween event, you can go over to Bloody Disgusting or Netflix's Twitter. Now the next thing on here I'm so excited about, Christopher Landon's new movie, Freaky, comes out November 13th, allegedly, from Universal, and it looks so good. Did you watch the trailer for this? I think it's cool that he got another movie. I mean, you know, huge fan of both of the the Happy Death Day movies. So uh, this seems like it's kind of in the same genre, like the weird kind of horror comedy thing. So I'm, I'm definitely into it. Yeah. So basically it's like Freaky Friday mixed with true crime. 17 year old Millie Kessler is just trying to survive the bloodthirsty halls of Blissfield High. Basically what happens is she gets murdered by Vince Vaughn, who's the butcher of Blissfield. And as he kills her with his special knife, they switch bodies. And then she has 24 hours to figure out some sort of mystery to get her body back. And she's running around as Vince Vaughn, the serial killer, which is like Freaky Friday, but made for us, which I think is really cool. Right. I would expect a PG-13 rating on this just because of the other movies he's made. And I don't know how the narrative on Happy Death Day to You got so twisted, but I was like, did it really bomb as hard as people are saying it did? I went and looked. That movie was like fairly profitable. And I think the only reason we didn't immediately see a greenlit sequel is because it wasn't as profitable as the first movie. It still made tens of million do- millions of dollars on top of its budget for Universal. So Christopher Landon's like a Blumhouse mainstay at this point. He did a few of the paranormal activities he wrote. He directed the paranormal activity, the marked one spinoff, which I really liked. He's working on the new paranormal activity. He did both happy death days. Like this dude's been around the block with Blumhouse. So I'm glad Universal's giving him a chance to do a brand new original IP again. I think that's the coolest part. Yeah. And I mean, this IP, like I was saying before, seems totally up his alley, like exactly, you know, in that tone that the happy death day movies are. So I, I feel like he'll kill it. Yeah, it's cool that it's just like completely original. Like, yeah, stuff like Ma turns out okay sometimes. And obviously you get crap like Fantasy Island and Truth or Dare. Actually, those aren't original IP. Those are remakes or board games or whatever the fuck. So that doesn't count. But Ma was a completely original thing. And while it did turn out not so great, it was still cool to see something completely new and different like that, I think. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I didn't love Ma, but I thought it was interesting. Like... When I first saw the trailer, I wanted to see the movie because I did not, I genuinely did not know where it was going. Yeah, Ma had definitely like meme potential as well. <laughs> definitely strong meme potential. And it def- it, that's something that really doesn't need a sequel. 
I don't think anyone's going to be upset that Ma's not getting a sequel, but I, I hope that the hype that Freaky is no doubt going to generate results in Happy Death Day 3, because I know Jason Blum is really trying to get it made. So I'm really crossing my fingers. Yeah, I would I would love to see a third entry of that trilogy. Yeah, and then the last thing I put on here, I was going to take it off, but I forgot. Clyde Barker's Books of Blood has been adapted into a movie on Hulu for October 7th. It's written by Brandon Braga and Adam Simon. I worked on their show Salem uh, when I was at the agency and we ran their social for it. Like, they get gore down, but just the writing is never really there, I don't think. And hopefully adapting Clive Barker works out for them, but just something about it being on Hulu and the weird short trailer that they put out is just not doing anything for me. Yeah, I mean, a lot of those Hulu horror originals have been really hit or miss, mostly miss. Uh, so, I mean, hopefully pleasantly surprised with it. Hopefully, you know, it's something cool. Uh, but, you know, I wouldn't really go into this with the highest of expectations. Yeah, I might check it out. I ended up watching season two of Castle Rock. I didn't really like it. So I just, I don't think Hulu's, I just don't think the output from Hulu original wise has been that great, especially in the horror realm. So I don't know, maybe they'll impress me because I'm going to go in with low expectations. But yeah, if you guys want to check out Clive Barker's Books of Blood, it's an anthology movie coming out on October 7th on Hulu. So that covers all of the news, all of the future programming. Now let's talk about this week's movie, Followed. It's uh, directed by Antoine Lay. It's written by Todd Click, and it stars Matthew Solomon as the YouTuber Drop the Mic. So I saw people tweeting about this. It's kind of a movie that's been out for a bit. It just hit drive-ins recently, I guess, and it also was released in 2018. It's it's weird. The whole movie's on YouTube for free also, from what I can tell. It's a bizarre movie. Uh, I didn't really like it that much either. Did you? Did you like it? I wanted to like it. Like, there were parts of it that, like, I wanted, you know, I thought were kind of interesting and I wanted to be into it, but it, it was, like, frustrating to me because it was close to a good movie, but it just made a lot of weird missteps that really held it back. Yeah, so the setup is, uh, as I mentioned, Matthew Solomon plays Drop the Mic, who's a YouTuber, I guess. He's called a vlogger. And he does a true crime vlog where he walks around L.A. and does cringy, goofy stuff where he stands in front of a place where murders happen. And he's like, hell yeah, dudes, there's a ton of blood that happened here. It's it's really cringy, but I think that's what the movie's going for since I read into this and he was based on Logan Paul. It definitely feels like that's what the character's trying to be. And he hasn't totally made it yet it seems and he gets sponsored by a horror clothing brand who says they're going to give him 250 grand if he is able to get 50,000 new subscribers staying overnight in the Lennox Hotel which is actually the Cecil Hotel here in Los Angeles some serial killers killed people there back in the day and they riff on the Elisa Lamb thing which is that lady who was recorded standing in the elevator right the elevator video and she was found in the water tank on the roof of the hotel. So they one-to-one copy a lot of this stuff from real life and then just change the name of the killer or the victim, which I thought was kind of odd. And obviously the thing I love to complain about recently is that they don't use YouTube, they don't use Facebook, they come up with all these ways to skirt around it, and it's just totally half-assed where it shouldn't be. That's what really bugged me about it. And also it's just way too long. Did you think this was like dragging towards the second act at all yeah definitely i i think the the pacing was kind of off it it dragged like you were saying they try to do kind of the unfriended like live desktop view between acts um and incorporating youtube and uh you know like followers and all that i mean i They just never really fully committed to any of those bits, so they all really come off as, like, underdeveloped and weird, like, not, like I said, not not committed to, so they come off feeling not complete. Um, I mean, I thought that the character was pretty, like, I thought that that really over-the-top going to the suicide bridge and check out this was, like, funny because it was so over the top and weird. Um, I, I think it, that personality really 
wears on you after a while in the movie. Like once it was coming into like the end of the second act, beginning of the third act, I was like, all right, like I'm done seeing this Drock the Mike character. Like I wish it would just be like real for a second. Yeah, and I feel like they picked up on that because there are a couple moments towards the middle of the movie where they throw in totally random plot points that are supposed to humanize him. Like he talks about in the hallway how him and his buddy Christopher who films his all of his stuff how they were in therapy together and that's like oh it's emotionalizing him and then it's revealed halfway through that his wife is pregnant for no reason really so it's just so they can introduce another plot conceit for him to stay in the hotel longer it's it's all just like sloppy there's so much stuff packed into this plot that doesn't need to be there like the whole idea of the hotel being haunted and focusing on uh, the Elisa Lam, aka Megan Kim, in the movie. That's enough. That was scary. It was a cool concept. They kind of recreate her bu- button pushes in the elevator, and that results. I thought that was cool. I thought that was a cool scene. That's like one of the best scenes in the whole movie. It's like, that's great. So then they go and throw in all of this other shit, like a drug dealer in a devil mask who chases them around. They've got this weird cult who's supposedly watching them. Like, it feels like they saw the den and were like, oh, I like what's going on here with the human trafficking angle. So they went back in and re-added it later. It's just, there's so much going on that it's hard to keep track of. And there are scary moments. Like I just mentioned one, I felt my heart picking up a couple times, like when Christopher stands on the toilet and points the camera into that vent, yeah. I was waiting for the jump scare. The whole elevator sequence itself is great because at any moment you feel like it could drop. And like you said, the guy playing Drop the Mic, Matthew Solomon, does an excellent job, but he's completely let down by the script because it never commits to what the website is in this universe. Like, it's YouTube, kind of. He has a vlog, kind of. There's parts where he's allegedly live streaming, I guess. It's really wishy-washy with the rules of this weekend, his three-day weekend in this hotel. You never know what's going on, like which videos people have seen, which ones people haven't. I feel like they realized that, so they went in and had this serial killer type human trafficker uploading the videos to totally not YouTube and shit. It's just like so overcomplicated and it has no reason to be also it's called followed and they use the facebook font for the title treatment but it's there's no aspect of this at all that deals with following they go back and they call all of his subscribers followers and then at the end he's like okay i need 33 subscribers 33 subscribers but the rest of the movie he calls them followers it's just like so messy i mean i didn't really notice like the change in verbiage like that didn't really bother me but I mean, like you were saying before, I mean, just the use of all these like non-websites and kind of fusing them all, you know, making this weird, like his own website is a Twitter, Periscope, YouTube combination. I mean, it's just, is weird. Like none of that even needed to be in the movie. They could have easily just had it be, you know, they, they show the video footage of him you know, doing his vlogging or whatever, and then you just do the cop-out, you know, found footage ending where somebody found the tape and is watching it or something. Like, you did not need to add all this extra weird using the platform unfriended desktop usage aspect to the movie, I thought. Yeah, there's also a completely unnecessary character, which is the editor. She's staying in a hotel room adjacent to them the entire movie. They introduce this whole weird plot line where she has too much to edit and she starts crying and then he walks in on her and she's about to jump out the window and her mom has to come get her why was she even in the movie there's no scares related to her at all yeah and we have a female character in the main cast already and the weird thing is like so he he stops her from committing suicide jumping out of the hotel which is something that people just seem to do in this hotel there was like two other suicides in the movie um but we don't really have any emotional connection to that character because we see her for total on-screen time of probably five minutes. So, I mean, as the audience, we're not like really rooting for her to, you know, make it out of this one. And then when her mom is sitting there distraught, it's like, I'm going to come after you for this. And it's like, you know, why, why did that even need to be in the movie? It just felt really out of place. It's like, what is she going to come after him for? All, all he did was pay her to do her job. And then she, for some reason, tried to kill herself. Like, And then the whole idea of this 
cult that's apparently watching him mixed with is the hotel haunted or not. The weird digital ghosts that are in the movie are also really strange. I mean, there's... It has the digital effects that we bitch about. Like, cameras don't do that. So why are they doing that in this movie? It doesn't make it any scarier. It just looks fake. It also is has a score for some reason. Like, I don't know. That that really bugged me that they undercut the emotional, emotional moments with sad music or whatever. It's like, who edited this? If that lady quits on him towards the end of the movie, was it the fucking cult or whatever the hell? The Fred the Head thing was totally underutilized. They do one scare with it, just completely abandon it for the rest of the movie. And apparently this was shot over 12 days, which is insane to me because it feels like they had way too much time and overshot. So I think the big issue, and we've kind of been saying this over and over again, is at the core, there's like kind of interesting idea here with the, you know, haunted hotel. They recreate this, you know, kind of real life event with the the hotel elevator game thing. I think I, I think that was that would be enough. If they go to a haunted hotel, they recreate the elevator thing. They get some scares with, you know, whatever whatever you make it, you know, demonic possession, anything, whatever that that led that woman to commit suicide. But they just really try too many things that don't work and don't really fully commit to any one idea that the whole movie just feels half-assed because there's too much going on and if they would have just kept the core idea and really focus on it i think this movie could have been cool it also has a lot of on location shooting which means leads me to believe that it had a decent budget and it looks really good shot super well all the scenes are lit really well they do a good job of when they take the vlogging cameras into dark areas the edges are pixelated i think it's a little cliche but i liked the character i think his name was wallace he was like a a writer about this hotel they throw in this fucking bizarre adoption plot too that kind of draws drop the mic to the hotel which i don't get because he already had motivation to go there $250,000 and his YouTube channel. I don't think we needed that extra subplot. Also, dude, every single scene this guy is on camera, he is explaining exactly what is happening in the frame. I was like, I'm watching the movie. I don't need you to explain to me that you're walking down the stairs. He'd be like, okay, I'm walking down three flights of stairs. And then when I reach the basement door, I'm going to take 15 steps in and try and retrieve my drone. It's like, no shit, dude. You've said it 50 fucking times. <laughs> yeah, we're watching it. <laughs> he did a he did good job as like the douchey vlogger personality, but there was a lot of weird things in the movie that just didn't work like that and the writing being kind of one of the big things. I just don't understand how they got to this point without someone saying, "Yo, this is like so overcomplicated for no reason. You've got too many characters, you've got too many subplots, you've got Way too much footage. Just cut it down and get rid of some of this extra baggage. Like focus on the actual scary stuff, which is the hotel being haunted. Get rid of this whole weird subplot. And also the the ending is just like needlessly mean-spirited. Like it feels like it could have just ended with his two friends kind of abandoning him because they realized that all he really cares about is himself and his YouTube channel. Like that's enough. that's punishment enough for him. The weird head throw at the end was just really goofy. I, I, I guess that was supposed to be his pregnant wife's head that they throw on him. And then they have this other little douchey YouTuber show up at his house and like go past the caution tape. And then you see someone log in to the drop the mic account and say, I'll see you soon, buddy. And it's like, oh my God, dude, like why did we have to end it like this? <laughs> yeah. That ending was definitely pretty cringy. I mean, uh, yeah, I don't know. I've... I think it could have been a good movie. I think there is a good movie somewhere in here if you were to completely re-edit it and and cut, you know, a lot of this weird overcomplicated stuff out. Um, but, you know, overall, I think it was, you know, it, derivative of a lot of other found footage movies, some effective scares, but really it's just way too overcomplicated for its own good. Yeah, the last thing I want to say, you can kind of see the main actor, Matthew Solomon, sort of drowning in the plot because he does an incredible job selling the whole YouTuber aspect 
Like I believed that. And also the editing on some of the YouTube moments were was really good. But there's there's points where you can see him getting confused mid-line because it's like it, it would be impossible to get in that character's headspace as an actor because there's just so much to keep track of. You've got all of these different things going on. Like I'm I'm adopted, my my dad was a cop who murdered my mom. A cult's and- watching me. I'm in a haunted hotel. I'm fighting with all my friends. <laughs> I'm a YouTuber. I've got this insanely huge YouTube channel that's not actually profitable, which makes no sense. Like, I like I would have no idea what headspace I'm supposed to be in scene to scene. And I guarantee they didn't shoot this chronologically, which would make it that much more confusing. So he did a great job. I, com- I think he was completely let down by the writing. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I would... I, I hope this doesn't, you know, completely shut him down. I think that, you know, he played the part well, and I would I would watch him in another movie. Um, I think, like you, like you were saying, it's just the plot and the writing really, really let him down when he was giving it his all. He also kind of dresses like a YouTuber, too. Like, the costumes were great. He, you know, like, the he finds a way to make his outfits stand out, even though he's got no logos, and it's all primary colors. Mm-hmm. Like, I thought that was really smart. I thought... The costumes on his friend Chris and uh, his other friend who kind of joined along unnecessarily. Like, their costumes were great. They fit their personalities well. Costume design was awesome. The camera rigs they're using are the same rigs that a lot of YouTubers use. I picked up on that. Just, yeah. It's it's an ambitious found footage movie that really struggles under its own weight. And I appreciate what it was going for. But, like, coming out now after Host after Spree, after both Unfriended movies and Searching. It's just like, this has been done so many more times, so much better, that it's like unforgivably bad, in my opinion. Yeah, I I've, I would definitely agree with that. I mean, I think like, you know, obviously Host worked because it was like a cool plot, used the technology really well, very realistic to like how you would actually feel using Zoom. I think Searching did the exact same thing where that was kind of the perfect use of like a real, you know, it felt like you were actually using a computer or, or viewing this story through like the lens of a of a normal person's desktop. Same thing with Unfriended 2 worked a lot of, you know, felt a lot more realistic than Unfriended 1. And I mean, those are definitely more technology focused than this movie was. But I think if they wanted to go that route, instead of focusing on you know, the, the haunted hotel and really make it kind of something more like that through the lens of a, a digital medium. I think that's really where they needed to focus on. I like, normally I say like, give another shot because there's promise. I just, I just don't think this team really understood what they were using. Like it felt completely just like the word I would use for the script of this movie is out of touch. Ironically, like your actor is carrying it because he knows how to act like a YouTuber but like everything you're providing on the filmmaking side of it is a huge detriment to the movie. Like, I I guess people are liking this, so I don't want to be too hard on it, but like, I haven't seen a movie this bad in a long time. I I wouldn't say it's like the worst movie I've seen in a long time, but I wouldn't really recommend it. I mean, I think there's way better found footage horror movies that you should watch if you're into this (laughs) kind of thing. And I would like definitely recommend like the den host, unfriended to a hundred times before this movie me too i agree there's just so many better options again that did the same thing but better yeah Uh, but it is free on youtube so i don't know if you're feeling really like you want something to watch put it on like your ipad or your phone i think that would help out a lot because i watched it in the dark on my ipad and that kind of made some of the moments a little scarier but i'm giving this a hard extremely hard two star no fluctuations from from talking about it yeah uh i think i gave it a 2.5 and uh i think could have been a three if it was not so complicated and cut a lot of stuff out i think i'm just frustrated because i i see a good movie in there but it just didn't come out right i think you see a good performance maybe that's what i'm seeing because <laughs> that guy that guy cannot be understated how good Matthew Solomon is in this movie. He like elevates it from how bad it could be. I think, I think he did a great job. Maybe I just want that character in a better movie. Maybe that's what I'm looking for. Yeah. (laughs) Spree two coming soon. So 
that's going to do it for this week's episode of Fear Frequency, a weekly horror podcast. Remember, you can always reach out to us at fearfrequencypodcast at gmail.com. You can leave us a review and a rating at the very least. It would help out a ton. Uh, we will read your review or rating on the show. You can follow me on Twitter at Jimmy Champagne. George is at George Frazard. And the show is at Fear Frequency if you want some memes. Anyway, guys, that's it for this week's Halloween update. As always, my name is Jimmy Champagne. And I'll see you in the next one. Shape on. <laughs> I just did went right into my YouTube ending. Shape on. <laughs> that's what I always say at the end of my videos. <laughs> really? Yeah. That's Some guy awesome. commented it like a, like a year and a half ago. So I always say, shape on. <laughs> it's cool. I love that. <laughs> That's my catchphrase. <laughs> Thanks awesome. for watching my fucking videos. I'm leaving this in. <laughs>